just had all these hopes, all these dreams, but my health started to fail. And I'm like, the first winter we were in Arizona, it was like my health was failing. And I'm like, why is it failing this bad? Because the seasonal affective disorder, I wasn't as depressed. I, I felt better. My winter cycle wasn't as long. So why is my health failing? And it just kept getting worse and worse. Welcome to Stories of Hope in Hard Times, the show that explores how people endure and even thrive in difficult times, all with God's help. I'm your host, Tamara K. Anderson. Join me on a journey to find inspiring stories of hope and wisdom learned in life's hardest moments. As a young woman, my guest today struggled with seasonal affective disorder each winter. Later, she moved to Arizona to improve her health, but instead found herself facing another chronic illness. She's been married to the same loving, supportive husband for over 28 years and enjoys writing flowers, reading her scriptures, and other uplifting books. I'm pleased to present Denise Hope. Denise, are you ready to share your story of hope? Yes, I am. Wonderful. Well, I love to start off with a fun fact. And one of the fun facts about Denise is that she actually met her husband at a dating and marriage class that was offered through her church. Tell me about this, because this is just so funny. Like, it's like one of those too good to be true stories. (laughs) Well, you see, I felt this prompting from the Holy Spirit that I should do something, go find my husband, that he was going to come soon. And so I went to the Institute of Religion at college, and I signed up for the dating and marriage class. And a couple of weeks later, there was this handsome young man, (laughs) wonderful brown eyes, and he showed up and it went from there. We fell right in love. And, and that is just the beginning of that journey. <laughs> yes, 28 years later, here we are. Here you are, here you are. Oh my goodness. And it has been an up and down road for you, hasn't it? Oh yes, we've had our struggles over the years. That's my for goodness. Sure. Well, let's dive into some of those, those struggles, as we call them. Talk to me about this unidentified unidentified health challenge when you were a teenager that nobody could put their finger on. Why don't we start there? It was six years before I was diagnosed properly, but at age 14, I I used to be able to do a lot of things. I, I would get up in the morning, do my early morning paper route, walk to school, just do all the normal teenager things. But then the winter, I just, I was getting tired. I'd catch the flu. I just never to get well. And, but then the summer, I was able to get up. I'd go up in the mountains and have fun. I'd go to camp for the summer. I'd go tubing down the river. One of my favorite things to do back then. And, and I was doing fine. But then the next November, it starts in November, I would get up in the morning, but it would be, you know, it would be harder and harder to get up in the morning. By January, I was just so tired. Couldn't do my homework very well. 
But this pattern kept up. The next summer, I actually worked at summer camp. And I'd work 10-hour days. I could do well. Then the next fall, it just get worse again. And school become difficult. And this year, it became difficult socially. And I just get tired. I get stressed out easily through the winter. And I would go to different doctors. They'd say, I don't know. They'd make guesses. Is it hypoglycemia? Is it just depression? What is this? Mm-hmm. They don't ever seem to know what the problem was. And each summer I worked at camp. That was my favorite thing to do. I was a cook and I just loved camp. But then each fall in high school, I would get worse about Thanksgiving time it would start. By January, I just could hardly think each year it would get worse. And it would add in more, I'd become more depressed each winter. I would be able to think, to concentrate. I just sit there, unable to do my homework, hardly at all. And I just, you know, falling behind in school. And then the summers would be great. I'd be at camp, I'd be having lots of fun. And then by my first year of college, it was happening again. And Mm. the therapist I had at the time, he was like, well, it must be you're shy, you're shy. And I was very shy back then. And he, I would say, but I think it has to do with winter because it happens in exact same pattern every winter. And mm. every spring I seem to get better and I can get up and I can do my homework again and be social. And he'd say, no, no, that's, that can't be it. And he'd say, well, if you, if you try extra hard to be outgoing, and try extra hard, then you can do it. And right. so I would try so hard to be outgoing and, and to do everything, but that winter it was worse than ever. Oh no. And so obviously that didn't work to just try as hard as I possibly could. Yeah, it wasn't something in your mind. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't, it wasn't me. Because <laughs> if I could have wished it away, I would have, obviously, yeah. or if I could have just tried hard enough, and I so much wanted to be more outgoing, I so much wanted to be able to do my homework in the winter, and it just wouldn't work. So the next year, I went away to college, and I had a new therapist, and God at times, he has led me to those who have the knowledge I need, mm-hmm. but he treated me like an adult, and he let me explore it for myself, and that really helped because he wasn't very familiar with this winter time depression thing Mm -hmm. but we explored it together that winter and that winter was just oh worse than ever I mean I would just I would write down that I'm falling steadily behind in class I can barely do half of each assignment I whereas before I you know getting my A's and everything and Harder and harder, I, I wrote down, it's as if I'm glued to my bed. During the day, I feel as if gravity is twice as strong and like it's p- constantly pulling me to the ground. Mm. It's a certain kind of fatigue that yeah. just drags you down. And I was really able to explore it this year. And my therapist, he went to the library because we didn't have the internet back then. Yes, I know, right? This is pre-Google. Yeah, Yeah. so he went to the library, looked it up, and we explored it. And he found seasonal affective disorder. Mm. 
Now, seasonal affective disorder, they were just starting to study it back then. And a guy named Norman E. Rosenthal, who wrote the book Winter Blues, and I recommend this book for anyone who has this winter depression, seasonal right. affective disorder. He, he wrote a book about it, but it was just the early 1980s, and those were my high school years. And that's when they first started to, um, he found some patients that had this winter cycle of depression. He's like, well, let's ask the other doctors, have they heard of it? And they're like, no, no, we haven't heard of this. Hmm. And so they put out an article about it. Let's see if we can get a study going. And he thought it Hardly anyone would answer, and thousands and thousands, they got letter after letter. Apparently, it was much more common than he thought it would be. Right. And so they first started studying it. And they studied light therapy and such, and studied people in these patterns. And apparently, it is quite common. But people have it. They get their symptoms anywhere from September to Christmas time, depending uh -huh. on how bad it is. And the further north you are, um, the worse you are to get it. Yes. And I lived in Utah at this time, and I had it pretty bad. <laughs> and so, and then the middle of winter, December, January, February, those are the worst months for people. And then by spring, they come out of it, but people get they just get that really tired, like you're being dragged down. They get depressed. Um, they People claim it takes all their willpower just to get up in the morning. And yeah, I can say that's true. Uh -huh. <laughs> they sleep longer and they don't feel refreshed. They have troubles in social situations. They get stressed out more easily. They're, they don't have very good concentration. They crave light. And believe me, in the winter, I crave light. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I want to turn on all the lights. The next thing I want to talk about is my joy in the summer because I love those summers at camp. Mm -hmm. And I would just, in summer, I would just, it's like I wanted to gather all the joy, happiness, and light I could while I was there at camp so I could store it up for winter. I was like, yeah. Uh, kind of like a squirrel wants to store up for winter. Can I ask and you a question, so, Denise? Uh -huh. Have they found that it is just a depletion of vitamin D3? Is that what it is? Um, or, or, or is no, it more it's, than that? Yes, more than that. Melatonin and serotonin uh -huh. um, change. And those are a problem. And you can use light therapy or, or antidepressants. Or a lot of people move south right. to try to get away from it. Right. And so you live it, in Arizona now, right? Yes. <laughs> That's wonderful. Yes. Yeah, I definitely moved to Arizona. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I interrupted you. You were talking about getting all that sunshine and wonderfulness when you were at camp. And, and yes. you can go uh, back to talking about that. <laughs> yes. It's up in the mountains of Utah. And I would work 10 hours days. I'd get up at six in the morning, which, you know, I couldn't do in the winter. And, and I thought just one little story. We used to like to go down to the waterfront. We had a lake there and, and we weren't allowed to go out on the boats. 
on our own without the leaders. So we would just pretend that docks were our boats and we would pretend like we were just boating around the lake and we pretend there was a Kazi monster because it was Kazi Reservoir. <laughs> and and we, we would just use our imaginations and, and we'd end up dragging each other into the lake and getting all wet and... Of course. <laughs> we, it was just like summers were when I could be a child and have mm. all this fun. And, and I just, those were my very favorite memories of those years were my summers. Now, during those years in Utah, I learned um, to bring all the peace and beauty in and not just the summers, but in the winter, it's like, why should I live my winters only pining away for summer? Mm. And, and so I started to learn to bring beauty and peace into my winters, too, and into the hard times. So uh, one of my favorite scriptures is John fourteen twenty seven. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And one thing I realized as I read scriptures about peace is that the verbs are doing verbs. Mm. Let not, um, seek, pursue, pray, let, be still. Like in Psalm 34, verse 14, seek peace and pursue it. And in Psalm 122.6, it says, pray for peace. And so I thought, well, can I do this in the winters? Mm. And why should I only have joy in the summer? And the Spirit helped me to start to recognize good in the winters, too, such as um, a gentle insight from friends. They'd talk to me or nature. I love the mountains and nature. And I learned to seek quiet times when peace would come in. And I remember once I was in the canyon, I just got back from a walk up the canyon. It has to be one of the most beautiful canyons in the world. There is such a feeling of peace, of patience, of calmness there. Occasionally I would come across a patch of light purple wild geraniums or some other flowers. There are steep mountains going up either side of the canyon, and a stream sparkles down through the green floor in between. This stream gushes and frosts whitely over waterfalls. At times, it slips calmly past tall earth and brown banks and under overgrowing plants. Its gentle noise lulling my mind and speaking peace to my heart. I stopped once to watch one tiny little bird perched on a naked branch, standing out against the deep blue of the evening sky. Its throat moved up and down as it sang a song of great contentment. The wind moving gently through the pines has adds a hush to my surroundings. It was so beautiful that I felt like flying with the little sparrow hawks that were circling overhead. But I learned to bring times of peace in and beauty in, in my life, such as during the winter, I learned to read good books or mm. find good jigsaw puzzle. Or I remember once I lived with my grandparents for a couple of years in my young adult years, 
and we'd like to just me and grandpa like to just sit next to the grandfather clock where there was a heater in the corner and it was nice and cozy and warm and we would sit there and play cards or or do pencil puzzles and and so I learned to bring beauty into winter as well and God can lead us to these times of um, peace during the winter times and through any hard times in life. Now, let me ask you, it seems like you were, uh, were, were those readings from your journals? Was journaling part yes. of your process of finding peace oh, yeah. and finding joy? Journaling helps me to think through things and it, it just, it helps me sort it out. And I've, I have found journaling to be very useful over the years. I love that. I, I I think it's 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 different when you when you write it down. For some reason, it just it helps us process it differently. I guess maybe. Yes. Yes, I have found that to be the case over the years. Okay, back to Arizona. My husband and I, after we got married, this wonderful, loving man, and he's he's, he's been great over the years. He just accepts me as I am, and I just love him. We just had all these hopes, all these dreams, but my health started to fail. And I'm like, the first winter we were in Arizona, it was like my health was failing. And I'm like, why is it failing this bad? Because the seasonal affective disorder, I wasn't as depressed. I, I felt better. My winter cycle wasn't as long. So why is my health failing? And then within a year, my health was just really bad. And it just kept getting worse and worse. What were and some of your symptoms, Denise? I remember it, it was summer at this point, and it's like I should be feeling well in the summer. And I remember one night I just started shaking, my teeth were chattering, I just could barely walk, my heart was going 116, and my husband had to take me to the emergency room. Well, the doctors, again, they didn't know. They're like, I don't know, maybe it's anxiety. I have learned that that's what doctors often say if they're not sure what something is it's anxiety <laughs> even if it's not <laughs> right well it's, it's a good first guess but it's not often always the case right <laughs> yeah and that summer i would get chest pains i would have troubles breathing i'd have trouble sleeping i started getting heart palpitations or whenever i would stand up my heart would start racing and I'd get headaches, nausea, shakiness. And by September, October, I ended up in the emergency room time after time because I would get up, I'd get lightheaded, I couldn't walk straight, I'd get really weak. Wow. Um, doctor after doctor, they just they couldn't figure it out. And by October, I wrote down, I just feel very faint. My heart beats irregular. My husband had to carry me to the bathroom and hold my head up because that's how weak I was. Wow. And I wrote that I just nauseated, very ill, felt very faint. I kept shaking off and on for a few hours and my heart rate would shoot up every time I'd stand. And again, at the emergency room, they'd just be baffled. And wow. By this point, I couldn't work anymore. And I remember one night I was just lying in bed and I was shaking so bad, my arms and my legs were just bouncing up and down. <laughs> it was so bad. Wow. Wow. So what did you do? How did you find a solution or an answer to this, Denise? Um, well, I didn't at first. And I just went to doctor after doctor and 
And I just, I was like, is God angry at me? I have done all I can. What am I going to do? I went to 24 different doctors before oh I found a solution God. to it. Because it had taken me six years to figure out the seasonal affective disorder. I knew to keep going. But sometimes I like, should I keep going? Should I keep mm. seeing more doctors? They don't know what this is. They don't know how to help. Right. But I have a quote from Dallin H. Oaks. He says that healing can come in different ways. He said, sometimes the healing cures our illness or lifts our burden. But sometimes we are healed by being given strength or understanding or patience to bear the burdens placed upon us. And like it says in Isaiah chapter 28, verse 10, precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little. Yeah, and it's that, so true. Life is like that sometimes. You just kind of yeah. get one little nibble at a time, right? Yeah, so for about the next year, I just was trying to figure it out. And I got this impression from the Holy Spirit that I should keep going to this internal medicine specialist that I was seeing. Mm. And she was running test after test. And I was like, okay, I will try it. But I just had to trust our Heavenly Father, as it says in Isaiah 55, verse 9. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And I thought, well, I will keep going to her, and I will mm -hmm. trust her, and I will trust that Heavenly Father knows what he's doing. Because it was just you know, an impression. It wasn't mm -hmm. any big thing. It was just a feeling that I should keep going to her. Right, right. So they ran heart tests. They ran lab tests, ultrasounds. You name it. They ran it. <sighs> and then finally, she referred me to a rheumatologist. And the rheumatologist knew what it was. Ooh. And she diagnosed me with chronic fatigue syndrome. After all this time, <laughs> finally I had um, something to call it. Now, chronic fatigue syndrome, it has two different names. It can be called um, myalgic encephalomyelitis because in 1955, A. Melvin Ramsey, MD, he was a doctor at the Royal Free Hospital in London and there was an epidemic. And he was like, what is this? And he studied the people there, and they had symptoms similar to what I've described. Uh huh. And the next year, Sir Donald Akison wrote an article about what Ramsey's work in his studies, and he named it myalgic encephalomyelitis. In the 1980s, there was an epidemic of this, these symptoms, in the United States, in Nevada. <laughs> and the people there studied it, and they didn't realize it had been studied before. They're like, what is this illness? We don't understand it. Mm -hmm. And so in the 1980s, they called it chronic fatigue syndrome. Ah. In recent years, it's popular to call it ME slash CFS. So ME CFS acknowledges both names. So it, it has two names that have stuck. <laughs> so what is it that causes it? The myoencephalomyelitis? Sorry, I'm going to get Myalgic encephalomyelitis. Okay, I'm glad you said it, Nami. <laughs> Tell me, because encephalitis is like a swelling in the brain, is that right? Um, yeah, myalgic encephalomyelitis, it's kind of hard to say. It is. It means muscle pain accompanied 
by inflammation in the brain and spinal cord. Oh, and so, gotcha. so a lot of people have it get the muscle pain and there's also a lot of inflammation. It, does, it didn't describe all of the illness because they didn't fully understand it yet. Mm -hmm. Just like chronic fatigue syndrome doesn't quite describe all of the illness. It has fatigue, yes, but that's just one of the symptoms. Right, right. So both, both names don't quite describe the whole illness, but they're the names that stuck. <laughs> right, right. So that's what it's called. And it, and it is, part of it is that inflammation. And the, do, they, yes. do they know where the inflammation comes from or why it, what triggers um, it? They have debated over the years what starts it. Mm -hmm. Is it genetics? Is it the environment we live in? Is it, a, you know, a disease? Let me go through the Canadian definition. Oh, it's yeah. The Canadian definition from 2003 is one of the best ones. It, it best describes what I have. But it says they have fatigue that significantly limits the person's activities. And a major part of it is post-exertional malaise. And this is really a hallmark of the illness that um, anything physical, mental, people just get worn out and they don't recover. It makes your symptoms worse. And it could be like a day or two before you recover from, you know, doing something for a day. And then a couple of days, you're just oh, wiped out. Mm -hmm. Can include sleep problems, pain in muscles and joints. People can have... Um, brain fog, meaning they ha might have troubles finding the right words. And I have really varied on this. Sometimes <laughs> I really have trouble speaking and other times troubles organizing your thoughts, concentrating. You might have troubles walking in a straight line. I have done that at times. I just- um, Really? Yeah, they call it the CFS gate where you just, <laughs> you can't quite walk straight or you get to a curb and you have to stop and think, how do I step up this curb? Wow. So I have varied in these sorts of things. And you get overloaded easily, like loud noises, bright lights. But they've also found specific immune system abnormalities. And this causes a lot of us to have chronic low-lying infections, which can make mm -hmm. our symptoms a lot worse. And that's something they've studied quite a bit. Sensitivities and allergies to foods. Oh, I've got that. <laughs> also have orthostatic intolerance. What now, is that? that I've never heard of orthostatic. Yeah, yeah, I've never heard that word. So you're going to have to tell me what it is. <laughs> okay. Orthostatic intolerance is the general term for heart and blood pressure problems that are made worse by standing. And they improve when you sit down or when you lie down. Okay. And so many, many people who have ME-CFS also have orthostatic intolerance, but not all. And mm. you, can have, you can have one illness without the other. Got it. But um, maybe 60% of us have orthostatic intolerance. Um, the symptoms can include lightheadedness, palpitations, nausea, trembling, shortness of breath, difficulty concentrating, and tiredness. When I first read that definition, I'm like, oh my goodness, that is so me. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, check, 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 check. <laughs> oh my goodness, I'm so excited that you were finally able to get a correct diagnosis. We're going to take a quick break, but when we get back, we're going to have Denise tell us a little bit about what her life has looked like since this correct diagnosis and the lessons she has learned along this detoured path. Stay tuned. 
Hi, this is Tamara K. Anderson, and I want to share something special with you. When our son Nathan was diagnosed with autism, I felt like the life we had expected for him was ripped away, and with it, my own heart shattered as well. It's very common for families to feel anger, pain, confusion, and anxiety when a child is diagnosed. This is where my book, Normal For Me, comes into play. It shares my story of learning to replace my pain with acceptance, peace, joy, and hope. Normal For Me has helped change many lives, and I'd like to give this book to as many families as possible. We put together something I think is really special. My friends and listeners can order copies of my book at a significantly discounted price, and we will send them to families who have just had a child diagnosed with autism or another special needs diagnosis. We will put your name inside the cover so they will know someone out there loves them and wants to help. I will also sign each copy. You can order as little as one or as many as hundreds to be shared with others. So go to my website, TamaraKAnderson.com, and visit the store section for more information and to place your order. You can bless the lives of many families by sending them hope, love, and peace. Check it out today at TamaraKAnderson.com and help me spread hope to the world. And we're back. I've been talking to Denise Hope about some of the difficult physical challenges that she has had to face in her life, not only with seasonal affective disorder, but with MECFS, which is chronic fatigue syndrome. Now, Denise, we have listened to your amazing story, and I'm just wondering, what lessons did you learn along this crazy journey that you were on? One thing I have learned is just to trust in God because he can lead us to those who have the knowledge that we need. And this rheumatologist had the knowledge I needed and she went with um, the treatment of a doctor who actually had this illness because there hadn't been a lot of research done by then. This was the 1990s. There has been a lot more research done by now and much more is known about this illness. And... God can lead us to those who have the knowledge we need. So twice, God has led me to those who have what we need. So do you find yourself that you had to learn to pray and ask God to lead you to those who have the answers (laughs) and then just kind of try to feel it out? Yes. I mean, you name it. I would study it out. I'd look it up, pray, stick with the doctor that felt right. (laughs) You name Mm -hmm. it. I mean, it's a lot of work to figure out these two illnesses, but I stuck with it. (laughs) So was this rheumatologist then able to help you find things that actually did improve your quality of life? Oh, yes. A lot of us have nutritional imbalances. So she was able to help those. She identified a couple of um, low-lying infections that needed treating. So she treated those. Um, And... The next doctor I had after her was a specialist in this. He helped. He helped with my sensitivities and allergies and such. And so for many years now, my health has been stable. It Not healthy, but mm-hmm. stable at a low level, you know, not getting worse or anything, which is a blessing. 
And so, like Dalinate Jokes said, I was given understanding. I was led to people who knew what to do. So in a way, I had healing. I'm not mm-hmm. over the illness, but right. I had a great deal of healing along the way. Wow. That is, that is so amazing that it, it really, it, it was like God gave you baby steps and he led you to the rheumatologist who helped you heal, you yeah. know, that low, the low lying infections and get you on some medication. And then he led you to the next step. And sometimes, you know, um, that line upon line precept upon precept stuff yes. is hard because you, you get yeah. impatient. You're like, let's move to the next step already. And, and, and. I think God is teaching us patience. <laughs> I don't know. What is your take on that? <laughs> oh, yes, that he is. <laughs> He's definitely taught me and led me along. I became a lot closer to Jesus Christ during that time. Jesus was born in a stable and hunted by Herod. Even his own people often rejected him and criticized his teachings. He was misunderstood and thrown out. His friends abandoned him and denied him in his greatest hours of need. But look at all he gave. His parables show a love for the everyday lives of his people. He went among the poor, the lame, the outcast, and healed them. He taught the rich how to humble themselves. He praised the widow when she cast in her last mite. He raised a woman's only son from the dead. He suffered pain for us, and he can literally understand what we are going through. He knows how to reach in to lift us up and to comfort a weary heart. And I found this to be the case over the years. Is God punishing me for this? And gradually I've learned, no, that's not the case. He gets it. He mm-hmm. understands deep down. It, he understands because he has paid the price for all of us. And one of my favorite scriptures is Isaiah 53, 3 through 5. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Mm. And I found that to be the case. He, he, it's like God has walked with me throughout this, and he's helped lead me along the way. And, and it's like, no, he's not punishing me. I've learned that. He's helping me. He's always been there. He's walking with me and leading me. Mm. I mean, a lot of these things are just part of life, you know? Yeah. I'm sure there's days when you don't feel him as closely, but what are some of the things that, that you do when you don't feel him to remind yourself that he's there? What do you do? Um, Well, I seek times of peace and quiet. Mm. I, I, turn off the TV and I go and read my scriptures, for example, or I Mm -hmm. listen to good uplifting music or I read uplifting books. And so I seek times when I can just feel the spirit and feel him there. Mm, That's, that's really good advice. If you're not feeling it to try to make time to seek that peace. I love, I love that you call it seeking. That's really good. Seeking peace. 
And it's like, he's not waiting for me to be perfect before I come before him. He mm. wants me to come before him just with all these troubles and raw emotions. And he wants me to come before him as I am. And I had to learn not to be a perfectionist <laughs> and to just relax. Yeah, that is hard when, when, we, when we try and we want to be perfect, right? That's really, really hard. Did you, did you used to try to think you had to approach him perfectly and then you had an aha moment where you realized oh, he's I, gonna take me broken or how yeah. did you come to that realization? Oh, it was very gradual over the years, one little bit at a time. But that leads me to another principle that I learned. My husband and I went back to school um, after I'd gotten this new illness and gotten it stabilized somewhat and such, my husband and I went back to school and it's really helped me. We learned about new cultures. We learned about people, how people have coped with other disabilities. One thing we learned, my husband brought home a book called The, the Tao of Pooh by Benjamin Hoff. And this book um, had some Chinese ideas. And in Western culture, people just perfect, all or nothing, let's hang on to this, let's force our way through. But the Chinese look at it in a different way. And I call this principle working with the waterfall. And this is by Chuangzi. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I'm not going to correct you on it. <laughs> A Chinese philosopher one day was walking towards a huge waterfall and he saw an old man in the turbulent waters. And he's like, oh no, I mean, he was alarmed. This man is in this waterfall, he's gonna drown. It calls everybody over. Are you gonna come help rescue him? And, and so they all rushed over there to rescue him. But when they got there, the man was just walking along whistling, he was fine. And he's like, well, how did you survive this terrible waterfall? And the old man said, I learned over the years since I was young how to work with the waterfall. I go down with the current. I come up with the current. I've, I've learned to go under. And instead of fighting against the superior force, I learned to work with what I've got. Mm. And this is so different from what I had learned. A lot of us here in the Western culture, we think we have to force, we have to do it all, but it's not sink or swim, fight or lose. It's learn the ups and downs, go with, well, it's not quite go with the flow because go with the <laughs> flow can mean mindlessly following the crowd, you know? Right. But I, so I, that's why I call it working with the waterfall. You learn to work with it and and God can help with this. He can show you which way to go and give you a little hint here and a little hint there. You should go this way or you should go that way. Mm. And this really helped me a lot. It helped me learn to work with what I've got and to value what I have. Teach me to nurture rather than force. Submit to the will of God rather than to try to control the situation. Learn compassion rather than listing my failures. <laughs> Looking right. for We're the always good. good at that, aren't we? <laughs> yeah. And that's how I got my associate degree, 
was by learning to work with what I had because I couldn't do as much as I could previously. But I learned to work with what I had and I took, you know, one or two classes at a time until I got my degree. And that degree really helped a lot in many ways with my life, even though I can't work, but it has helped me to understand how other people have survived. And I, I learned a lot about computers too. And so that degree really helped me. But I've learned that I too can have a life of quiet, reflective joy. And a lot of times uh, over the years, I've met others and what I'd value about them is their love, caring, acceptance, compassion. They're not the ones who try to force. And one example of this is my, was my friend Betty. Through these hard times, she drove me to doctor after doctor, lab test after lab test, and she was just so kind. She and others took me into their homes for about a month when I was so ill and they would help me and, and Betty especially, she just, she would come home from taking me to the doctor and she would just go in my house and go in and do my dishes for me. And she was so non-judgmental and I just, I want to be so much like her and I have tried to be a little more like her. A scripture about that is 2 Corinthians 1, chapter, uh, verse 4. Who comforteth all us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in trouble, by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. And I really like that scripture. And Betty, she was just the best example of that. And my friend Naomi, a few years later, she, she was such an excellent example of this love because she had muscular dystrophy, a form of it. And even though she couldn't work anymore, she had been an educator. She invited people into her home. She would teach at church. She was very much an example of compassion and caring and working with what she had. I mean, when we went to her funeral, I remember the place was packed. The church was completely full, even though she didn't have family nearby. We were all her family because she invited everyone in. And she was such the perfect example of someone who learned to work with what she had and to be who she was. It sounds it, like it, you, you, you found characteristics in others that, that they were able to find joy in their life and live it to the fullest, fullest not let um, a disability inhibit them from finding and and seeking others and and just being able to interact and have the best life possible that sounds like what you're describing and i think that's an amazing characteristic yes. to emulate oh yes i mean once i learned some of these principles and it really helped like imagine a stream filled with rocks now some people would say let's remove all these rocks and let's clear a path and straighten out the stream but that's not how the stream sees it. The stream just flows over and around these rocks and it just adds harmony to its tune. I mean, I love listening to streams, but it's those rocks that add harmony to its tune. Mm. And 
the so-called rocks in my life. They've added harmony to my tune. And so this has been a principle that's really helped. And I like Psalm chapter 30, verse 5. Weeping may endure for night, but joy cometh in the morning. Letting go of some of these old expectations, it helped me learn to have joy again. Even though my life wasn't what I expected it to be, mm-hmm. I could still build a good life. Yeah. Tell me, what what were some of the expectations you expected that would happen and then how you were able to do that, how you were able to switch that in your mind and how God was able to help you be okay with letting those go? Because I know I struggled with that after our son was diagnosed with autism, letting go of this expectation of what his life would look like and what my life would oh, look yes. like because of us. What, what, were, <laughs> what were some of the things that that you did to navigate well, through that? When I was young, there's a lot of pressure, especially in your young adult years. You've got to go to school, get the good education, get a good job, have a family by a certain age. I mm. mean, all these expectations that are built up when you're young. Yes. And when I found I was getting another illness, suddenly all those expectations were gone. It's like I had nothing. and it's only gradually that I rebuilt and God helped lead me one one bit at a time, one day at a time. And it's only by realizing that my life is of worth as it is. Mm. And God gave me these circumstances and he wanted me to learn from them. And so it's when I decided I can learn from this that my attitude started to change and I started building a new life for myself. Mm-hmm. It is hard. And I, I, I'm glad that you acknowledge it is hard oh, yes. and that you bring it up. Because it took I think many years. <laughs> it, it, it is. It's hard when you expect your life to be a certain way. And then all of a sudden you're confronted with say chronic illness. And this is not what you wanted your life to look like, but being able to be flexible enough, I guess we talked about that in the waterfall, yeah. um, being flexible enough to allow yourself, it's almost like uh, you give yourself the grace and the mercy that God always gives, but you give it to yourself and you yes. allow yourself to adjust to this new normal and say, okay, my life is going to look different and I'm going to give myself grace and mercy and time to process that and then find joy in my, in a new different way. Yes, exactly. I've learned along the way to just let go and still build my life and to reach out to others. And, and I, I wanted to be like these examples, Betty and Naomi and others I have tried, and that's why I wrote my book, because I want to share these ideas with others. Will you please, please tell us the title of your book, because we want to let other people know about it. It's In the Mist of Winter, Reaching for Hope While Living with Chronic Illness. And it's available on my website, denisehope.com. That's D-A-N-I-C-E-H-O-P-E.com. Wonderful. And I've got I've got links to all kinds of websites, but I've got one final thing I'd like to read for you. Please. Years ago, I thought, well, what would it be like if God wrote a letter to us? Mm. And so this is 
our Heavenly Father's letter to us. My dear child, know that I love you. Please don't turn away from that love. When you need me, I am always here. I gave you this life and these circumstances for a reason. Remember that I can see more than you, and I know what I would have you do. I have seen your trials, your pains, and your joys. I gave you these circumstances, knowing that you can do it. I will be here to help you. You can make it. You need to see for yourself that you're capable of overcoming these trials. The lessons learned through your struggles are something that you wouldn't have if I just took it away. Your Heavenly Father. Oh, I love that. Because sometimes we do wish he would take it away. I know I've prayed that yes. prayer before. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> I know that prayer well. Yeah, it, but it's hard. But I love that you put in that letter that God can see more than we can see. Yes. Like and the it, scripture in Isaiah says. Yes, exactly. Trust that he can see it and that he can help you find joy in your imperfect journey. <laughs> yes. That's a lesson that was really hard for me to learn. <laughs> oh my goodness, Denise, this has been absolutely a joy to talk about oh. with you. Oh. Um, you're think, so knowledgeable you. and I, I can tell God has given you a gift in writing. <laughs> oh. And that's what you do <laughs> on your you. website is you write these amazing, powerful blogs but they come from the heart because you have struggled with so many physical challenges oh, for yes. so many years. And yes, it, I learned things the hard way. <laughs> <laughs> but the beauty of learning things the hard way is that we all do that. And, and, yes, and often the lessons that say you learn apply to me as well. That's true. Thank you for being willing to share your story and and your your example and your hope and and for finding thank you for finding your voice and your purpose in life and being willing to share it with us today oh thank you hey thanks so much for listening to today's show if you like what you heard subscribe so you can get your weekly dose of powerful stories of hope I know there are many of you out there who are going through a hard time, and I hope you found useful things that you can apply to your own life in today's podcast. If you would like to access the show notes of today's show, please visit my website, storiesofhopepodcast.com. There you will find a summary of today's show, the transcript, and one of my favorite takeaways. You know, if someone kept coming to mind during today's episode, perhaps that means that you should share this episode with them. Maybe there was a story shared or a quote or a scripture verse that they really, really need to hear. So go ahead and share this podcast. May God bless you, especially if you are struggling with hope to carry on and with the strength to keep going when things get tough. Remember to walk with Christ and he will help you bear the burden. And above all else, remember, God loves you.